Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone up from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Andrea, thanks very much for, for reading for us. I met with a group of friends and colleagues on Tuesday and... Um, As the meeting came to a formal close, one of them just took me gently to one side, he lowered his voice and he said to me, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. At this point, he doesn't know what that means for him, he doesn't know the prognosis or the course of treatment he'll need, he just knows that he has cancer. I hear that news from time to time, but hearing it this week from a friend was especially poignant because last week, as I wished people a happy new year two people independently in wishing me a happy new year responded by saying so long as we have our health eh maybe you do this you raise a glass at the beginning of the year and you say good health that's kind of what we want to be healthy if we're healthy we're happy we say of course it's not true but it's what we say and so one of the great fears in life is the dread of contracting an incurable condition receiving that telephone call from the GP surgery. Mr. Williams, your blood tests have come back and and the doctor would like to see you as a matter of urgency. I know a few people in this church who've lived with that fear in recent weeks and months. It doesn't have to be terminal for it to be devastating. Having, Having a condition that simply can't be cured has a crippling impact on our lifestyle. Again, I know the number in this church who live with that. For them, as far as they know, death is not imminent, but but living with with chronic pain and having to come to terms with the thought that it's never going to get better is really, really tough. Well, look, that is the issue that we come face to face with in Mark chapter 5 this morning. And here's a first point, if you like taking notes, an incurable condition, verses 21 to 26. Verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. Uh, while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly 
with him. My daughter is dying. It's a heartbreaking situation. His little girl, we discover later, is just 12 years old and she's dying. And her dad, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, is beside himself, falling on his knees. He begs Jesus to heal his precious little girl. Parents here, can you feel the pain? Jairus was desperate. He'd heard about Jesus and reports of him healing people. And so publicly before a huge crowd, had this man of standing and status in society was begging Jesus, please come and heal my little girl. So, verse 24, Jesus went with him. But then we read, verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. On the way to Jairus' house, there's another encounter, this time with a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. I'm guessing it was a gynecological issue. Whether it was or not, to be hemorrhaging for so long would have left this poor woman weak and drained most of the time. And it seems that no matter where she turned, there was no cure. Verse 26, she'd seen many doctors, none of them able to help. In fact, the way verse 26 reads, it appears the woman's condition worsened as a result of the treatment she was given. So if she lived today, I can imagine her turning to lawyers to seek compensation for for medical negligence. That said, it would have to be on a no-fee, no-win, no-fee basis because, verse 26, she spent all she had on medical treatment. There was no NHS, no Obamacare back then. So the money she'd saved up for a rainy day had gone and now it was pouring and the fund was dry. And before we go any further in the story, it's worth stopping here and allowing the details of verse 26 to sink in. She spent everything she had going to everyone she knew to, find, find, to try and find any solution there was. But still she was not cured. If anything, it got worse. The hard reality is there are some things that money can't buy. And we do need to face up to that honestly because so many of us, may I suggest most of us, have an approach to life that if we have a little nest egg tucked away, it'll be all right. I know that's often the way I think. Money in the bank is our safety net to get us out of any problem we might face. Put bluntly, we tend to treat money as our saviour. Money will rescue me. We do the same with medicine and science, always expecting medics to come up with a solution, which is why so many turn so quickly to litigation when things go wrong. It must be the doctor's fault. This weekend, it must be their fault for not keeping the surgery open for longer hours. Someone has, someone has to be to blame, you see. Oh, one way or the, the, another, we think someone hasn't done their job properly because science had advanced so far that anything can be cured, can't it? I'll put that bluntly. Of course, no, one, no intelligent thinking person actually believes that. No one believes that everything can be cured. But I'm trying to get to the the heart of the matter here, deep down, in the back of our minds, in the depth of our being. So many of us live as if good health is a right of ours. So we get bitter when there's no solution. And when there's no cure, we start to blame individuals for, for not spotting it or for the system, for holding things up, or the government for the disintegration of the NHS. It's the blame game. Verse 26 is clear. The bare fact of life is that both back then and today, despite how far we've come, there are some things that are beyond us. 
some things that are never going to get cured. And I think we do well to believe that and to embrace it because it's hard enough if you're unfortunate enough to have to deal with an incurable medical condition as it is. How much harder if we kind of spend our lives living in a twilight zone believing that there is a cure for everything or that money can save us from anything. See, if we've lived with that, if we've believed that in the back of our minds, we'll find it impossible to come to terms with this kind of condition when it comes crashing through our door like a professional hitman. And so here we are in these verses face to face with an impossible situation and incurable condition. But there's another dimension here beyond the physical pain, and this is not to minimize the physical pain. It's this, that in Judaism, this woman's bleeding left her unclean, cut off from God's people and separate from God. We heard it in our first reading, if you wondered what that first reading was all about in Leviticus chapter 15. So quite apart from her physical condition, and that was bad enough, there was a social and a theological aspect to this woman's condition. Socially, she was cut off from God's people. Turn back with me, if you will, to the book of Leviticus. Again, page 118, just so we can see it. Uh, the reading that, um, that Andrea read for us just a little bit earlier. Page 118, Leviticus 15. Look at verse 19. When a woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of a monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Look on to verse 25. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period, that seems to be the situation that this woman in Mark 5 was in, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. So you see, this woman was considered back then unclean. And as a result, she was unable to meet with others without making them unclean. Like a leper, she should keep herself away from other people. Now, while we don't think that way as Christians, an incurable condition often leaves people socially ostracized. When the pain is chronic so that you can't hold down your job and you're isolated at home, you can't go out or, or can't face going out just because you feel so drained by your condition. And the only time you do get out is to go to yet another hospital appointment and spend yet more hours of your life sitting in a waiting room. When that's your condition and it's been going on for years, it leaves you cut off socially, unable to interact with people. You lose a sense of perspective. You get introverted and self-absorbed. Is it any wonder? So when people do come to see you, which isn't that often because they forget about you, all you do is talk about yourself and your ailments because that's what dominates your life. And so people don't visit very often because they don't want to hear about all the details of your problems. Do you see an incurable condition cuts us off from people? So we, we may not think in the Levitical terms of being unclean, but suffering a chronic incurable condition leaves us socially ostracized, removed from people. So this woman was cut off from God's people. What an impact that had in her. Poor woman. Physically, socially. But there's a theological aspect to her condition as well. See, theologically she was cut off from God. She was unclean before the Lord. Look at Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 28. 
When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day, she must take two doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one for sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. In this way, he'll make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanness of her discharge. Do you see how it worked? She would need to be free from her bleeding for seven days before she could go to the temple to take a sacrifice to be made right with God. But this poor woman in Mark chapter 5 had been bleeding for 12 years. And she was still bleeding. So her condition meant she couldn't go to the temple, which meant she couldn't offer a sacrifice, which in turn meant that she was not right with God. Considered unclean. She was caught in an impossible situation with a condition that left her cut off from people and cut off from God. And that, as we turn back to Mark chapter 5, is the big point of this encounter with Jesus. Her condition affected her physically, socially, and theologically. And her incurable condition is a picture of an incurable condition that we all suffer. It is the devastating condition of being fallen, broken, sinful human beings. Our sin affects us physically. We all have an incurable condition. It's called aging. Our bodies wear out, and they only wear out because we live in a fallen, sinful world. And we feel its devastating effect at different times in life, but some of us are fortunate enough to go through most of our life without any serious condition until old age. And when we get older, there comes a point in our lives when no amount of money and no medical intervention will cure us. There's only one direction it's heading in. And because we're all living longer, more and more of us will live with the effects of old age. And so early in life, we, we do well to face up to the fact that we may well reach a point where time will not be our healer, but rather will only make it worse. So you see, our sin has a physical impact Our sin has a social impact. Our sin cuts us off from people, from others, to a greater or lesser extent. Sometimes it happens in the most obvious and dramatic, destructive ways. Through a blazing row, we fall out with people. Sometimes with the people we love the most. So marriages break up and the relationships with our children break down. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. To a greater or lesser extent, we feel the impact of sin in every relationship we have. Friends, acquaintances, work colleagues, neighbours, none of them live up to our expectations. At times we'll be hurt by other selfishness and thoughtlessness and downright rudeness. We're hurt by the things people say and the things they do. And of course, it's never our fault. You see, frankly, sin, living for myself, not loving God and not loving my neighbour is the reason for Social disintegration at every level, at personal level and at the the, the sort of the biggest level. And no amount of money or social engineering is going to solve the problem. I'm not saying that it's not good to try, I'm just saying it's not going to solve the problem. Sin has a physical impact, sin has a social impact, and then there's the theological problem. Sin ruins my relationship, breaks my relationship with my God. It's actually why we die physically, because if we cut ourselves off from the source of life, it will only be a matter of time before we shrivel up and die. 
See, if I, if I cut a flower from its roots, it can look lovely in a vase in a room for a while. But from the moment I cut the stem, the flower is dying. Exactly the same with us. Physical death is a devastating picture of spiritual death, of being cut off from God, out of relationship with God. And while most people think they can live without God now, and at times it looks as if they're quite well, even flourishing without God, the truth is without God, who is the source of life, we are dying. And the devastating consequences of that will be felt not only when we die physically, but when at the point of death we come face to face with the God that we've lived without all our lives, and he treats us as unclean and unforgiven and casts us out of his presence. This woman's condition is a picture of all of that, you see. Precisely because we don't feel it and precisely because we we can't really see it, we're given in this woman a picture of the utter hopelessness of our condition. So that as we look at her, we should look at ourselves and we should say, I suffer an incurable condition just like hers and it's a problem that won't be solved by money or medicine or mankind's best attempts. And so face to face with this impossible situation, we can do a number of things. We, we can bury our head in the sand and refuse to accept it. Keep seeking a man-made solution, as this woman did for, for, for 12 years. Spend more and more money thinking that there must be a way, we just have to find it. So as we look at our physical condition, we refuse to believe that money and medicine won't cure us. Or we can look at social integration in our world and refuse to believe that throwing money at it by regenerating areas of social deprivation and then educating people won't put it right. Again, I'm not saying those are not good things to do. I'm just saying they're not the ultimate solution. We can bury our head in the sand or we can get bitter and twisted and be part of the blame culture. When it's physical, we blame the GP for not spotting it earlier. When it's social, we blame the government for not pouring more funding into it. When it's personal... Uh, and we realise we're not the people that we ought to be. We blame our parents for passing on their faulty genes or raising us the way they did. Uh, we can blame God. We can bury our head in the sand. We can get bitter and twisted and join the blame game. Or we can throw ourselves on the mercy of God. Look to Jesus. Humbly accept that this is a problem that is too big for us and for any human being. And after 12 years of suffering, that's what this woman did. So from an incurable condition to second, and you'll be pleased to know much more briefly, an invaluable Christ. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. It is a remarkable Instant healing. Twelve years she'd suffered. Been to every doctor she could. Spent every last penny she had. Nothing had cured her. Yet reach out for Jesus and instantly, immediately, her suffering ended. It's the pattern of this section of Mark's gospel. At the end of chapter 4, do you remember we saw this last week, uh, in verses 35 to 39, the disciples were in an impossible situation in a boat in a tumultuous storm on Lake Galilee. They were convinced they were going to drown. They had no solution. So they cried out to Jesus in verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm instantly. 
Then last week, there was the demon-possessed man. No one could help him. He was a walking dead man. He was in an impossible situation. But just a word from Jesus and the evil was cast out of him. And chapter 5, verse 15, the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons was sitting dressed in his right mind instantly. And now this, a woman hemorrhaging for 12 years. No one could help her. In an impossible situation, and yet the moment she turned to Jesus, instant healing... It should leave us saying, who is this Jesus? Who is this who can still the storm? Who is this who can drive out evil? Who is this that can even make me clean? Now please let me say what this is definitely not saying. This is not saying that if you're sitting here, and I know some are, with an apparently incurable condition... This is not saying then if you turn to Jesus, you'll be instantly healed. That's not the point. That is not to say that I don't believe that ever happens, but that's not the point here. This woman's condition, as I've already said, is a picture of every human being's condition. It's not just about an incurable physical condition. It's about being spiritually unclean. It's about all of us having this this situation of utter Helplessness as fallen people who live in a broken world. Utterly helpless because we've turned away from God. And it is that which is instantly healed when we throw ourselves on the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. This is telling me about Jesus, who he is, his mighty power, that he is mighty to save where other things are unable to solve the problem. That through his death on the cross, he's able to make me clean and right before God. Able to do what no one or nothing else can do. And this is telling me about myself and about our world. Oh, telling me things that I know deep down, but I tend to want to keep thinking it isn't true. We live in a broken world where things go wrong. I will go wrong in this world. I don't just mean emotionally and you know spiritually I mean I'll go wrong physically and ultimately fixing it is beyond me and beyond all the ingenuity and vast resources of the human race all of this teaches us that we're more vulnerable than we care to believe and when we put all those things together the awesome power of Jesus Christ and our frailty and utter weakness doesn't it make you want to turn to Jesus as your saviour and friend he is the Lord almighty so that rather than fear the results of our condition we should trust him and fear him that is what we see this woman doing an incurable condition an invaluable Christ and uh, lastly and an incredible character see the last we saw in verse 29 uh, the woman was immediately freed from her suffering look what happens next in verse 30 at once Jesus realised that power had gone out from him he turned around in the crowd and asked who's touched my clothes Jesus knows someone has been healed and he needs to know who the disciples think that what Jesus is asking is ridiculous verse 31 Jesus you ask who touched you what kind of question is that we're in a crowd We're surrounded by a throbbing mass of humanity pressing against us. Who touched you? Loads of people have been touching you. But the disciples missed the point. 
there was one in the crowd who'd quite deliberately reached out and touched Jesus with a touch that was different from just the fact they were all crowding around him. And so, verse 32, Jesus kept looking around to see who'd done it. And verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Isn't that striking? Trembling with fear. She knew what had happened to her. She, she knew she'd been healed, but she was trembling with fear because what she'd done in touching Jesus was, in Jewish thinking, a terrible thing. Remember, she was unclean. She shouldn't have been anywhere near anyone. So she'd not only been in the crowd, she touched a rabbi in her unclean condition, broke a great social, social uh, and religious taboo. No wonder she was frightened. Now she'd been found out. But there in the front of the entire crowd, she came clean with Jesus, verse 3. She told him the whole truth. The 12 years of bleeding. The doctor she'd seen. The money she spent. The loneliness, the anxiety, the hopelessness, the loss. In front of the whole crowd. And Jesus said, verse 34, daughter... Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. That last verse is why Jesus needed to talk to the woman. I want for his sake, but for hers and for the crowd, and as we read it, for ours. Your faith has healed you. Jesus explained to her, You weren't healed because I wear a magic cloak. You weren't healed because you got me on a good day. You weren't healed because you're religious or because you're good or because you're poor. Your faith has healed you. That's it. And we need to hear that because just like this woman, we have an incurable condition. And when we've been told that nothing is going to cure us, we can't be left there. We need to know the answer. And the answer is to put our faith, our trust in Jesus, not in money or medicine or people or politics. Not in social action or science or in religion or rituals. Not in morality or men, but in Jesus Christ. As we put our faith, our trust in him, we get cured from our greatest condition. And when we do put our faith and trust in Christ, then end of verse 34, Jesus brings us peace and frees us from our suffering. Peace with God so that ultimately everything's okay. Because in Jesus one day we will be free from all the sufferings of the effects of living in a sin-filled world. In the heavenly new creation there'll be no more pain from illness or broken relationships. No more crying because of the inequalities in this world that leave people hopeless and helpless. No more longing for things to get better because they couldn't be any better. And no more death. That's what faith in Jesus Christ gives us. So as we close, let me ask you, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? If you're saying this morning, I don't think I have, no, I haven't, or, or I'm not sure, uh, then please take a booklet from me on the way out, which will tell you how you can put your faith in Jesus. Or come along to our Christianity's broad course that begins a week on Tuesday, Tuesday the 24th. We've got one in the morning and one in the evenings, and these cards are around pick one up and uh, it will tell you more but as I say have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ I know that for many hundreds indeed here you'll say yes I have 
And so at some point you might think, well, that was an interesting talk, but it wasn't really for me. No, it is for you and it is for me. Because it asks this question, are you and I continuing to trust in Jesus Christ alone? Do we put our faith in money or medicine or mankind's ability and ingenuity? Those will be the things to chase up in your, uh, as you study this passage in your small groups uh, in a couple of weeks' time. And when you meet, please look honestly at your heart. It's very easy for the AI trust in Jesus. Be honest. Admit to one another where your security lies and what your expectations are for this life. And look at the signals that tell you if you're not fully and finally trusting Jesus, when you raise your glass to good health, when you think of your retirement to believe everything will be okay if you have a good pension package. That's what I do. I'm not trusting Jesus for the future, I'm trusting a pension. When you watch the news and you blame the government, I'm not saying that there aren't mistakes made, I'm just saying, is that the solution? Or you hope for better investment to solve all the problems, socially. If that is how we think, then we're not fully and finally trusting Jesus Christ. See, is that how we think? Or do we want everyone to know the glorious gospel of Jesus? And is our great hope that we long for the day when he will usher in his kingdom? Because we know that that is the only hope for a world wrecked by an otherwise incurable condition. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we thank you for this astonishing picture in this woman of our own uh, condition, the condition of us individually and as a human race, of a people who are suffering something that is on our own, incurable, an impossible situation. And as we have felt that this morning, we want to say thank you for the Lord Jesus, the one who steps in, the only one who can step in and solve that problem. And we pray that whether it be someone here who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus or others of us who've said we've done that for many years, we pray that uh, the reality of this morning would help us to trust him and him alone for our present and our future. And may that result in ultimately your praise and glory in our lives. Amen.